for this one. It's called Origin Story. Origin Story. How many of you guys are a fan of superheroes? Any superhero fans in the building? All right. Uh, I, I love superheroes. This, I mean, we definitely love, I mean, look at any movies out. There's always a superhero movie out. I mean, almost any time, there's, there's some superhero. There's, there's probably Avengers 17 coming out in theaters soon or something like that. I mean, we just over and over again. We love our superheroes. We're fascinated by the supernatural. We're fascinated by people who can do something that just seems extraordinary. And uh, I remember the very first superhero that I got into, right? Think about your, fir- your first favorite superhero. My first uh, superhero that I ever got into was, was Batman, right? Any Batman fans out there, right? And, and for me, my first glimpse at Batman was the, the 1960s TV show Batman, Right? You know what I'm talking about? Adam West. They ran around Gotham City wearing spandex, him and Robin. And, uh, you know, he had a utility belt. He could pull whatever he wanted to out of that utility belt. He pulled a live fish out of there one time. Just You never know. He was just prepared. He was ready. They cruised around in the Batmobile around town, you know, and, and it was just great. And they always got into fist fights with everybody. They were constantly doing that. They were taking down the Joker. They were taking down the Riddler, all those things. And every time they would punch, it would go. They'd never actually touch the guy. It would just go. Bang, pow, zapow, you know, all these different things. And, and so that was a lot of fun. And at the end of every episode, because there was always a two-parter, right? There was always a two-part episode. And at the end of the first episode, every time, uh, Batman and Robin would always be in a tight pinch, right? They'd always be on the ropes. The bad guy would always have them tied up. Or, you know, the saw blade was coming down and it was going to take them out. Or, you know, they were going to get turned into wax figurines or something like that. I mean, it was always, there's no way out. The bad guys finally got him. He can't take him down. And then the narrator would come on and he'd say, you know, will Batman and Robin survive? Or will the Joker's tricks finally thrive? Tune in next week. Same bat time. Same bat channel. It's like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, and, and so that's, that's the way I was raised. And, and I looked at, at this and I thought, that's impossible. You know, this doesn't even make sense. Those guys are wearing spandex. Like, how, how are they stopping bullets right now? How are they beating these guys? Like, man, Bruce Wayne, he's lived a cush life. How is he good, so good at fighting? This doesn't even make sense. So in my mind, it just seemed like these guys are way too super. They must have some, some superhero powers that I'm not aware of, and I just don't get it. It just seems unrealistic, right? And I was a kid, and I thought, this seems unrealistic. Then one day, uh, I was a teenager, and, and in my house, uh, we, we didn't watch many movies. We had about 10 VHS tapes. So unless it was one of those 10 VHS tapes, I hadn't seen it, right? We just kept watching the same. So one day I'm at a friend's house, and they have a movie on, and I didn't know what the movie was called. We were just watching it, and, and I'm looking at this, and, you know, I see this story of this guy, and, and he just hits rock bottom, and he's in some foreign country, and he's learning how to fight. He's learning how to do all these different things, and it's like, okay, this is kind of interesting. And then he comes back, and I realize his name is Bruce Wayne. I was like, Bruce Wayne. That sounds familiar. Oh, that's, that's Batman. You know, and then I see he, he comes in. He's got this fortune. He has access to all this research, uh, military research and development, and, and he becomes Batman. And, and all of a sudden, it's just like, wait a minute. This could actually work. He's not wearing spandex. He's actually wearing, like, this Kevlar vest right now. It just looks like Batman. You know, and my mind was just running like, this is possible. This is cool. And I was hooked on superhero movies after that, you know, because it, it finally felt now after seeing his origin story of, of where he came from and all these things that this could be real. And that's what all of our superhero movies are, is trying to put all these superheroes into our American world today of saying this could be, po- yeah, somebody could get bitten by a radioactive spider, you know, not, Iron Man might happen, and we, we try to figure all that. But where am I going with this? Where am I going with this? You see, there's a lot of characters in the Bible that look like superheroes to us. They just, man, God used them so powerfully. God, God used them so awesome. I mean, that is, that is so incredible. And we think, I could never do that. I can't do that. Man, I, that's, that's too crazy. That's too out of the, they must be super. They must be better than all of us. But what's interesting, when we look at the, I mean, you look at the stories of Samson, Right? He had super strength. I can't do that. Uh, you, you've got the story of Daniel in the lion's den. 
man, how did, how, did, how did God use them to do something like that? Or, you know, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Man, they must have been special. Esther, uh, she, she saved God's people. She must be special. You know, that's great for them, but that just can't happen for me. And, and so we look at that and we think, no, it can't be me. I can't do this. Uh, you look at, uh, actually, you look in Hebrews chapter 11, right? And that's the faith chapter. That's the listing of all the people that God used powerfully in faith. You go down that list, and it's just like a list of superheroes of the Bible. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, uh, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And we look at that list, and we think, God, I'm not that person. I can never be King David. I can never be Moses. I can never be Samson. I mean, verse 38 in, in Hebrews chapter 11 even says the world was not worthy of them. Right? That's a high calling to live up to. The world wasn't worthy of them. And in this series, I want to take uh, just one of these Hall of Faith members in Hebrews chapter 11, and arguably the most decorated of them all, and take a look at their origin story, where they came from. Because I think when we look at that origin story, we'll see that they were a regular person like you and I. They had flaws. They, they had mistakes. But they were willing to say yes to God. They were willing to trust in God. And, and that's why they were able to be used in such a powerful way. Right? And the same thing is true of us. We have our flaws. We have our mistakes. We, we may not have it all figured out. But when we choose to say yes to God, when we choose to trust him, we can do things that are beyond our imagination, that are beyond our abilities. And so that's what this series is all about. So uh, the person I want to focus on in the Hall of Faith today is Moses. Moses. And like I said, Moses is one of the most decorated members of this, this Hall of Faith. You look at Moses and you see that God used him to uh, stand before Pharaoh. Right? The king of Egypt, probably the most powerful man in the world at that time. And God used him to stand before him. And, and not only that, he got to send 10 plagues. I mean, we were raining down hail. Actually, I, I saw our, our younger boys Wednesday night. You guys were learning about the 10 plagues not too long ago. There was locusts and frogs jumping around everywhere, and water was turning into blood. I mean, Moses got to do that. He got to be at the forefront of that. He led the Israelites out of Egypt, and he got to, God used him to part the Red Sea. That's pretty amazing, right? Uh, keep going. Uh, he held up his, his staff. He held up his hands, and the Amalekites were defeated. God used him to bring water from a rock. Uh, God brought him on top of Mount Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments. He, he gave him the law. He gave him the, the directions for the tabernacle, like all these. He talked with God. And we still follow these Ten Commandments today. Uh, Moses got to see as much of the glory of God as he could handle. And on top of that, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. Right? He seems pretty super. He, he seems like that would be pretty hard uh, to live up to. It seems pretty unattainable. And so we can say, yeah, I could never do that. I could never do great things like, like Moses did. But let me remind you, there's only one actual superhero in the Bible. His name is Jesus. Everybody else, they, they were used mightily by God, but they were no superhero. Jesus is the only superhero in the Bible. See, Moses appeared like he was a superhero because he allowed God to use him because he said yes to God. But man, it, it took him 80 years before he said yes. All right, think about that. So we're going to check out, uh, we're gonna check out his, his origin story and see the man behind the staff, the man behind the veil. He had to wear a veil on his face because his face was glowing because he was in the presence of God so much. Right? I mean, so we're going to look at the man behind that. We're going to see that he had flaws just like you and I, but he was able to be used by God in impossible ways because he was willing to say yes. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And uh, while you're flipping there, let me give you a little backstory of how we got to Exodus chapter 2, how we have arrived there. So it all started, we'll go back as far as uh, Abraham. Right? God called Abraham. He told him, I want you to follow me, and I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. Just, just come follow. And Abraham, by faith, he was one of those Hall of Faith members, he started following God. And he led him into the promised land, into present-day Israel. And he never received that land, but God promised, one day you'll, you'll receive this. 
Well, Abraham, when he was 100 years old, against all odds, and his wife Sarah was 90, they had a child. His name was Isaac, the, the promised son. And, and God continued to, to pass down this blessing from generation. From Isaac, it went on to Jacob. Right Last year, we, we talked about Jacob for a little while. We had a series on him, and uh, we realized that Jacob, he struggled quite a bit. Right? He, he struggled from the day he was born. He was fighting with his older brother Esau, and he was constantly struggling. Who's going to get the blessing? And then once he finally won out, he went and, and uh, found a wife, and his father-in-law, he started working for him, and it was just a constant struggle. It was a constant struggle everywhere. It was a constant struggle until one day it all came to a head, and he was literally struggling with God. He was in a wrestling match with God one night, and it was in that moment that God changed everything about Jacob. He, he took the struggle away. He, he gave him a new name. He said, you're no longer going to be Jacob, a liar and a deceiver. No. Now your name is Israel, meaning you, you wrestled with God and you overcame. You're an overcomer now. And that's where we get the name Israel. That's where we get God's people from is, is from Israel. So Jacob, or Israel, he had 12 sons. One of them, his favorite son was Joseph, right? Joseph was his favorite son, and, and uh, Joseph... I. Probably could have kept that to himself, but he kind of lorded it over his brothers until one day they couldn't take it anymore, and they, they sold Joseph into slavery. And that's a long story. We'll keep it short. But Joseph was a slave. He was in prison, and uh, you'd think, oh, man, God can't use him. But after many years of, uh, of this difficult life, God brought him from prison to the second in command in Egypt the second basically most powerful person in the world. And God used him. And, and during that time, there was a massive, almost worldwide uh, famine. But God had prepared Joseph for it. And, and so Joseph was able to reunite with his brothers and bring his family to Egypt and settle them in the best land, in the land of Goshen. And everything was great. And it, they all lived happily ever after. Or maybe they didn't. Uh, they lived happily for a little while until eventually Joseph died and Jacob died, and the rest of the family died, and, and you know, the next generation came along, and, and all of a sudden, the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, he didn't know Joseph anymore. He didn't know these Israelites. Uh, they became a stench to them. He, he didn't like them because they were growing. They were multiplying, and there were so many of them, he got scared. He got scared that, that they were going to take over his land, so he listed an edict. Uh, first off, he, he made them his slaves, and when that didn't work, he said, all the male children that are born to the Israelites are to be thrown into the Nile River and killed. Man, that's a tough edict right there for the Israelites. You'd think this is going to be the end of the Israelites. They're never going to make it. They're never going to survive because they're slaves. Uh, they're, they're not in the promised land. They're, their male children are being killed by the king. And this is where Moses joins the story. What a time to be alive, right? What a time to be alive. So let's read here in Exodus chapter 2, starting with verse 1. It says this, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. All right, can you imagine what it would be like to be an expecting mom, expecting parents at this time? I mean, that, that had to be absolutely terrible. Uh, there's no ultrasound, so you, you've got no idea if it's a boy or a girl. And as if childbirth wasn't stressful enough, right? If childbirth wasn't stressful enough and painful enough... Now, after you go through that whole process, right, you go through the morning sickness, you go through the uncomfortableness, you go through the extreme pain of childbirth. Now you're telling me that there's a 50-50 chance that someone might take my baby and, and murder them, right? Like, that's stressful. That's stressful. And I can't imagine the worry and the weight of the world that expecting parents carried during that time. That, that just had to be unbearable. And so the first point that, that I want to make here uh, out of this passage is this. Faith sparks faith. Faith sparks faith. You know, your faith has a ripple effect. Your faith, even the smallest faith that you have has a ripple effect, and you have no idea how big that that ripple might grow. Your faith, no matter how small, matters. Your faith matters. 
You might be sitting here today thinking, ugh, you know, I just do a little bit, or I just teach a class, or I just do this, or I just share this, or does anybody really care? Is, is what I'm doing, does it, does it count? And the answer is yes. Your faith matters because faith sparks faith. See, while the central character in this passage is Moses, Moses is the baby, if you didn't know that already. Moses is this little guy who was born at this time. Uh, this passage really isn't about Moses' faith at all. It has nothing to do with Moses' faith. It's about the faith of his parents. It's about the faith of, of his family. See, Moses will never have the faith to part the Red Sea. Uh, he'll never have to see the glory of God unless his parents were the first ones to take that step of faith. See, his parents in this passage, even though the king had ordered all male babies must be murdered, they must be thrown into the Nile River, they had the faith to say, you know what? We're just going to hold on to him for a little bit longer. We're going to hide him. We're, we're going to follow God's commands. We know God's command isn't to murder. You know, we, we, we know his commands. So we're going to follow God's commands over the king's commands. See, Moses doesn't get in the hall of faith unless his parents get there first. In fact, Hebrews 11, verse 23, uh, in the hall of faith, it says this. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edicts. So you never know the impact that your faith could have on someone else. You never know. Moses' parents had no idea the impact that their faith would have on the world. Right? They had no idea that 80 years later, because they hid their son, because they protected him, that 80 years later, Moses uh, would see a burning bush, that, that Moses would stand before Pharaoh, that Moses would, would be the deliverer of his people, that, that Moses would receive the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, that Moses would, would, would part the Red Sea. They, they never knew, and they probably never saw it. They had probably passed since that time, but they never knew that that little bit of faith sparked something miraculous. So you never know the impact your faith could have on someone else, right? So someday you're sitting there and the Holy Spirit just speaks to your heart, just kind of whispers in there and, and he tells you, hey, I want you to just go encourage that person. You know, that, that person over there and you're like, but they have it all together. You know, they're, they're an encourage. you know, God, you don't need me to tell. No, just, just go over there and encourage them. And so you do it and you're faithful and it feels awkward and it feels weird and you feel like, oh, I didn't really accomplish much, but you never know. You never know what, what your faith can do and, and how big of an impact that can have and how your faith can spark someone else's faith. You know, maybe the Holy Spirit whispers to you and says, hey, I want you to go just give a gift to that person. Go give them 20 bucks. Go give them 100 bucks. And you're just like, what? God, I, you know I can't afford that. You know I can't do this. You know I can't. You know, we, we like to make the excuses, but eventually, you know, you, you give and you, you never know. But I know this, if God's telling you, Something big's going to happen, and you may not see it right away. You, you may never see it, but know that God is moving. You know that God is moving. You know, maybe, maybe for you, you're at your office, and everybody's doing one thing, but you decide, I'm going to make the difficult decision to obey God rather than to just follow the crowd. And you know you're going to catch flack for it. You know, oh, yeah, hey, we're all going out to the bar afterwards. Why don't you join us? And you're like, ah, no, no, I don't think I should go. And, and you know, oh, Man, everybody's going to think that I'm just a party pooper. Everybody's going to think that I, all these different things. But you say, I'm going to stay faithful. God, I'm going to honor you. You never know what your faith could do. You never know what spark it could ignite in someone else. So let's take a look. Again, let's take a look at his parents for just a moment. It doesn't list their names here, but in Exodus chapter 6, we learn that uh, Moses' dad's name is Amram, and his mom's name is Jochebed. So you got Amram and, and Jochebed, they've got uh, a daughter, Miriam, they've got another son, Aaron, and now along comes Moses. And it tells us that both Amram and Jochebed are descendants of Levi. They're both Levites. So if you look at the genealogy, we talked through most of it, you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has the 12 sons, one of them is Levi. Right, and that would later become the the priests of Israel. So that's soon to soon to happen. So you've got Levi. Levi uh, has a kid named Koath, and Koath has Amram, and then there's Moses. So Moses is only six generations removed from Abraham. I mean, this is pretty recent. This is pretty current. Only four away from from Jacob. And, and so now we we come to this uh, verse two. I want to point out. It says, "And she became pregnant, and they gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child. 
right? He was a fine child. They looked at Moses and said, this, this boy is fine. Uh, other, other translations say he was no ordinary baby. Another translation says he was a special baby, right? So they looked at Moses and said, this is a special baby. So maybe this morning you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, there it is. Moses was special. That's why God used him so greatly because he was a special baby, right? Let me tell you something this morning. Uh, could I have my special baby come on up here? Oh, he's out. Let's see if we can juggle all this. Look at all those people. I got my special baby with me this morning. This is a special baby. Isn't he handsome? Isn't he cute? Man, I love him. You know, he could be the ugliest baby in the world, and uh, I wouldn't know the difference because I look at him and I think, this is the most special baby. You know, this, this, is, this is a handsome guy. You like that microphone? Yeah, figuring things out. And, and I just love him because I'm his dad. Right? I mean, he, he reminds me of me. He, he looks like Angie, and I'm very thankful for that. Right? And, and I just couldn't be more pleased. And I, I just look at my kid, and, and I think, this is, this is a special baby. You know, what, what parent looks at their kid and thinks, man, that's an ugly baby. Right? Nobody. Nobody. And if you think that about somebody else's kids, you don't have the guts to say that to their face. Right? We wouldn't do that. Uh, no, we just say, yeah, you're right. That's the most beautiful baby I've ever seen in the world. Man, it's just, it looks just like you, you know? And, and, and so you look at him, but every parent thinks, man, I got a special baby, right? I've got a special kid. Yeah, you're pretty special, aren't you, bud? Pretty special. So Moses' parents, Jochebed and Amram, they, they look at their baby and they said, this is, this is a special baby. This is no ordinary child. Just like somebody, maybe your parents, whoever raised you, they looked at you one day and said, this is a special kid. This kid's got potential. We love this kid. And nobody can tell me anything different. See, point number two that, that I want to make this morning is that, church, you, you need to know you are special. You are special. You are not ordinary. You're not ordinary. And it's not just your mom or dad saying that to be nice. But it's what God says about you. God says that you're special. God tells you that you're not ordinary. We look in the Bible. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession. Don't let anyone lie to you. It says the very hairs on your head are all numbered. It says that, that God has plans for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to, to give you a hope and to give you a future. Ephesians tells us that you are God's craftsmanship, that he's prepared works in advance for you. He's got a plan for you, right? Even before you were born, God saw you. God saw you. He, he knew you. you. You weren't here by accident. Every moment of your life was laid out before you lived a single day. You were created with unique giftings. You were created with unique talents. There's no one else like you on this earth. All right? God knows your thoughts. He knows what you're going to say even before you speak it. He, he knows you. And on top of all that, you are created in the image of God. You're created in the image of God. This is truth. I'm not just making stuff up this morning. This is what God's word says about you. You were created in the image of God. And 1 Peter chapter 2 says that if you follow Christ then you are an alien and a stranger to this planet, right? Your home is not here. Your home is in heaven. So let me remind you again, you are not ordinary. You are special. You're a special baby. I mean, human, right? You're special. That's what God says about you. So we look at Moses and we think, oh, Moses was special. I can't do it. No, God says the same thing about you. You're special. You're special. I, I think that Ephesians 2.10 verse really sums it up well. You are God's craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God created you, you are his masterpiece, and he has a plan for you. So we need to know that. Making this hard on me, bud. 
we go. That, that's good. Third thing I want to share with you this morning, and we're going to take some time on this one, is that before God can use you to rescue others, we need to be rescued. Before you can go out and rescue anyone, before God can use you in powerful ways, you first need to be rescued, and we see that in this story. I mean, here you have this, this special baby, right? Now, this one's nine months old. Moses was, was three months old when this was all going down. And uh, you got this special baby, but the problem is you've got the king's edict that says all boys that are born must be thrown into the Nile. They must be murdered. Right? That, man, that's, that's difficult. And so in, in verse 2 again, it says, when she saw that he was a fine child, uh, Jochebed hid him for three months. For three months. I can imagine that with me for this morning, for a second this morning. Can you, can you imagine just the fear that Jochebed must have had every time an Egyptian crossed by her house? Could this be the moment? Could this be the moment that, that someone breaks in and takes my child? And this is the last moment that I have to spend with him. I'll never get to hear him anymore. To hear his coos anymore, you know? Never get to hold him again. Can you imagine just the terror every time that her little baby let out a cry? Right? Oh, who heard that? What's going on? And so I can imagine every time that he, he cried that, that she, would, she would take her baby and, and hold him close. Just to comfort him, to, to calm him down, to, to try to keep him quiet. But at the same time, it also comforted her, knowing that she had another moment with her son. Can you imagine the fear? You know, when, 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 when is someone going to rat me out? When's somebody going to let, let them know? And the, the slave drivers, they're going to come in and just take my baby from me. I can't imagine the terror that she lived in, that her and, and Amram did. I mean, they had no idea if this was going to be the last day, the last day with their son. They knew for sure, never going to be able to hear him laugh, see him walk, see him take his first step. I, I just can't imagine what that would be like. So in verse 2, it says, or in verse 3, it says, but when she could no longer hide him. She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds of the bank of the Nile. Again, for a moment, think about the, the pain and difficulty of this day. When she saw that she had an impossible choice to make. I can keep my son with me, but inevitably he's going to be found out. And I will lose him. There, there is no doubt that I can sneak him by. I've, I've snuck him in for three months, but he's getting too big. He's getting too loud. Uh, he's, he's waking up too many people. We've raised too many alarms. I will lose him. And so her only option was to let him go. So she goes and she gets some papyrus plants and she weaves them together. And she surrounds it with tar and with pitch to make it airtight, to make it a, a floating vessel. In hopes that it would float. You know, it's interesting the word basket here is only used one other time in the Bible. And, and that's for the ark. Noah's ark. The one that would save Noah and his family from God's judgment, from God's wrath, from the flood. And in the same way, this little ark that she built, this little basket that she built, she prayed would save her special baby from the wrath of the king, from, from the Nile River, from sure destruction. And so with faith, and I'm sure with, with many tears, she, she took her child. And what she thought was the last time, she, she took him and put him in a basket. Not knowing if she would ever see her son again. And how difficult is that day? And she stationed her, her daughter Miriam by the bank to see what would happen to the boy. You know, your story and Moses' story are pretty similar when you think about it. He was a special baby. And you're special, created in the image of God. 
He was destined for destruction from the day he was born. Right? He, he, he was destined. He was born. He should have been thrown into the Nile River. He should have been killed. He never should have lived. And in the same way, we are destined for destruction for the day we are born. Because we're sinful. We're sinful and we're, we're deserving of death. We're deserving of hell. We are destined for destruction ever since the moment Adam and Eve sinned and allowed sin to enter the world. We were destined for destruction. See, Moses was supposed to die in the Nile. Noah should have died in, in the flood. And just like the Nile and just like the flood, that's, that's kind of representative of our sin. Imagine that every sin that you've ever committed was just a drop of water. I mean, every, every lie that you tell, just another drop. Just another drop. I mean, every, every impure thought, another drop, another drop. And, and the water starts to build around you in your life. Every time you decide to prioritize your plans over God's plans, and, and you choose not to listen, an, another drop, and the water continues to build. When you allow that rage to take over, and you lose self-control, and you say words that, that you, you, you wish you would have never said, another drop, uh, another drop. You've got those selfish desires, and they keep creeping in, and, and another drop, and another drop. And then those addictions that you just can't seem to erase, you can't seem to scrub them out, you can't seem to get over them, and you keep saying, I'll never do this again. And the water just keeps rising, and it keeps rising, and it keeps rising, and it builds, and it builds. And in Psalm 130, it kind of talks about this. It says, from the depths of despair, O Lord. Another translation says, from the sea of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? You ever feel like that? That you're just drowning in your sins? God, how do I get out? God, save me. God, I, I can't make this on my own. Because at the end of the day, we're all deserving of God's wrath, even just one sin. Even just one sin. We're, we're destined for hell. We're destined for eternal death. We're destined to be away from God's presence for eternity, just like Moses was destined for the Nile River. That's what sin does to you. It says the wages of sin is death. We've earned it. We're deserving of God's wrath. But I like verse 4 of Psalm 130. It starts out with, but you offer forgiveness. God, you offer forgiveness. 1 Peter chapter 3, it, it talks about how, how Jesus' death and resurrection save us from drowning. In our sin, just, just like the ark saved Noah from God's wrath, Jesus' death and resurrection can save us from drowning in our sin. For, can save us from God's wrath because Jesus died on the cross. Because he, he lived a perfect life. He didn't have to go to that cross. He didn't have to die up there. He, he didn't have any sin that he had to pay the debt. But, but yet he got up on that cross and he took on the sin of the world. He took on yours and, and my sin so that he could pay the price. So that he could become an ark of salvation for us. So that if we reach out to him, he pulls us into that boat and, and says, hey, we're going to we're going to survive here. We're going we're gonna to stay afloat because we need to be rescued. We need to be rescued. We need a savior. You see, Jochebed, she did everything she could to save her child. She did everything she could to save her child. But in the end, she had to put him in God's hands. She, she couldn't do it anymore. She said, God, you're my only option. It's up to you now. So she puts him in a basket in the Nile. And again, she stations Miriam, his big sister, there to watch what happens. So let's, let's check out the rest of the story. What happens next? Verse 5. It says, Then Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, went down to the Nile to bathe. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it up and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and, and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, 
she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. She got Jochebed. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Worship team, would you come? Think about how amazing this is. I mean, how, how amazing is this? Earlier that day, Jochebed, she, she has stayed faithful to God. You know, she didn't throw him in the river. She didn't allow the, the king's officials to, to take him away, but she hid him for three months. Even though that wasn't the thing to do at that time, even though that was against the law, she stayed faithful to God and said, God, your plan is not murder. I'm going to protect my child. And she steps out in faith and she trusts God and, and she takes care of, care of her baby. And three months later, she puts him in the Nile when, when that's the only option left. And she puts him in God's hands. But think about everything that had to go right here in these verses. Think about everything that had to go right. I mean, this isn't mere coincidence, guys. This is the hand of God. This is the hand of God. I mean, God perfectly aligned things so the princess would come and find baby Moses at the right time. I mean, he perfectly aligned it. She could have come out at any place, any time, but she came out and, and she saw this basket, this ark, right? And, and not only that, but she opened it up and she saw right away, this is, this is a Hebrew baby. This is one of the Israelite babies. And in that moment, she could have said, throw him into the river. Let's, let's follow the orders. But instead, God gave her compassion and said, we need to take care of this child. We need to take care of this child. And, and not only that, then God lines it up and you got Miriam there and she has the right words to say. Hey, do you want me to go find somebody for you to take care of that baby? Yeah, that'd be great. I know just the person. And so, Jochebed Lee leaves Moses earlier, and then later, later that day, Miriam comes back busting through the door, probably with the greatest news. Mom, mom, you'll never guess it. You'll never know what God did. The princess found baby Moses, and then she had compassion, and now she needs somebody to raise the child for her. She wants you. All of a sudden, the fear and the terror of the last three months turned into joy and rejoicing in that household. Not only would she get to see her baby again, but, but she would get to, to raise him without fear of the Egyptians coming in, without fear of any, any of that. And, and now she gets to do that. Not only that, but he gets to be treated like royalty. How great is God? Here, here's a baby that was destined for destruction. But now... When she, he's placed in God's hands, he, he goes from he should be destroyed to royalty. Sound familiar? Right? We should be destined for destruction. But instead of that, God not only says, I'm not going to destroy you, but I'm going to call you my child. I'm going to call you my family. And I'm going to give you an inheritance. And we get to spend eternity in heaven together. We get to live. You're a royal priesthood. Think about that. We don't deserve it. See, before Moses could go off and do any rescuing, he had to be rescued first. And the same is true of you and I. Before we can go and rescue others, God's got to rescue us. We got to say, God, I, I need a Savior. God, this sin is, is coming in too strong and I can't handle it anymore. I'm drowning. Before God can use us to rescue others, he needs to rescue us first. So this morning, uh, just a few maybe takeaways from this message. Maybe today you just needed to be reminded that you're special. You were created with a purpose. God has a plan for your life. Maybe you've been walking around lately and you've just been beat up. And, and you've been, uh, people have been putting labels on you and, and telling you you're not good enough telling you your worth. Today, you need to understand that you were created special. And, and no matter what you've done, no, no matter how much you've messed things up, God hasn't given up on you. God loves you. You're his masterpiece. And today, you just need to embrace that. You need to hear that, that word from God today. Maybe today you 
you've known Jesus for a long time. Man, you, you know you're in the boat with Jesus, that things are going good. You know that you're a child of God. And, and you've been trying to step out in faith. And it just feels like nothing. Right? I'm, man, I'm teaching this class and the kids aren't even listening to me. I'm working with the youth and they're just on their phones. Working with the adults and, 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 and man, I just feel like I'm not breaking through. I'm working on my neighbor and they're just not listening. And you just feel like your faith isn't doing anything. Today, you needed to hear the story of Jochebed. Again, let me remind you, she took this step of faith. She saved her boy, but, but she had no idea. She had no idea what her little boy was going to become. She had no idea that 80 years later, at a burning bush, that faith that she started would continue on and that he would become a rescuer for his people that God would use him to, to give him the law, the Ten Commandments. She had no idea, and she never got to see the fulfillment of that. You have no idea what your faith is doing. So don't give up. Keep pressing in, even when it feels like you're banging on a wall, even when it feels like you're not making any ground. Your faith matters, and, and your faith can spark somebody else's faith, even if you didn't even know. Maybe it was just somebody who's watching you and they see, wow, that person's really faithful. I, I need to change. You just never know. Or maybe this morning you're sitting there and you just feel like you're drowning and you can't keep your head above water and, and that sin is gushing in and, and you just can't get out and you need a rescuer this morning. Today's your day. Today's the day. You don't need to clean up. You don't need to get your act in order. All you need to do is say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again. His word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Not that you might. Not that if he has compassion on you, he'll, he'll, he'll save. No, you will be saved. No doubt about it. Today can be the day of your salvation. So would you bow your heads with me? Would you close your eyes? And I, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel this morning. If you're in this place and you say, I need a rescuer, I need a savior, I need Jesus, I need someone to save me from my sins. I can't do it on my own. I'm tired of, of struggling on my own. I need a savior. I want to go to heaven. I want to spend eternity with him. I, I want to I go from condemned to royalty. If that's you today and you want to make that commitment, I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. I want to celebrate with you. So if that's you today in this place, would you just raise your hand and catch my eye? I want to pray with you this morning. Is there anybody here? Just say, I, I need a Savior. I need Jesus to move in my life. Thank you. Else, anybody in the balcony? Just say, I need a savior this morning. If you're online, you can just raise your hand even in the comments. Say, I need Jesus. We want to pray today. God, you're moving in this place. If you raise your hand, I want to pray with you. And we're all going to pray this together. It's no special words, but it's simply inviting Jesus to come into our life. So let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you. God, I, I'm drowning in my sin, and I need a Savior. I believe that you died on the cross, and I believe you rose again. Would you forgive me of my sins? May you be the Lord of my life. I give you control. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer this morning, the Bible says that there are angels that are rejoicing in heaven. You don't have to worry about, oh, did, it, did I do it right? Did it? No, God sees the heart. God sees the heart. And you have gone from drowning in your sin to on that ark of salvation, in, the, in that boat with Jesus, 
on a course to heaven. And today's a day of celebration. Would you, would you stand with me? So today, if, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to invite just our prayer team. They're, they're going to be right down over here. And uh, they want to pray with you. If you, if you prayed that, they, they've got some resources for you, uh, a Bible for you, uh, some next steps. And they just want to celebrate with you and pray for you and encourage you. So I encourage you, if that was you, just come down and, and we want to pray with you. But today, if God's speaking to you, man, if God's speaking to your heart, just you need to know that you're loved. You need to know that your faith matters. I encourage you, come find a place. Come find a place at this altar. Uh, I'm gonna, we ask the worship team to lead, and, and they're going to lead us in song. And, and I'm going to pray for you, and you guys are you're dismissed. You can go when you need to go. But, but let's continue to seek after God. Let's stay in his presence. And let's just thank him today. Jesus, God, thank you for what you did. Thank you that you died for us. Thank you that you are a rescuer. And, Lord, you've got more for us. God, you want to use us to help rescue others. How great is that? Lord, thank you that we are loved. God, thank you that you've given us faith to be able to step out, to be able to encourage others, to be able to see this world change for you. Lord, we thank you for lives that were changed here this morning. And God, we pray, God, just for the ripple effect to continue to go throughout Aberdeen, to continue to go throughout this world. So Lord, we pray your blessing this morning as we lift up your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, I encourage you. Come find a place. Let's go after God together this morning.